While preparing for this episode, the first thing I tried to find out was how to pronounce this phenomenon. Like this. El Nino. However, El Nino effect. What is El Nino? That's the El Nino phenomenon. Or this. El Nino. El Nino. What causes El Nino? The phenomenon called El Nino. El Nino is back. I am El Nino. All of the tropical storms must bow before me. I'll go with the second one. El Nino. El Nino, which literally means little boy or simply the boy. It's actually thousands of years old. Well, to really dumb it down, El Nino is something that warms up large parts of the Pacific Ocean when they should be getting cooler. And since the Pacific Ocean covers almost a third of the Earth's surface, this abnormal heating up has far-reaching effects and massive implications across the world. It disrupts weather patterns. It can lead to storms in some parts of the world and droughts in others. And yes, El Nino is back. Climate scientists across the world fear that its return this year will make 2024 the hottest recorded year ever. And that is especially bad news for a country like India, which has been reeling under heat waves. Well, you must be feeling the heat as temperatures are rising and are above normal in several parts of the country currently. 48 cities reporting a maximum temperature of 42 degrees and that's right here in April. Heat wave conditions are prevailing in several states across the country, including Maharashtra, Bihar, Odisha, Andhra Pradesh, Delhi NCR. And these heat wave conditions are likely to continue. Killer heat waves are putting India's economy and development goals at risk. This according to a study conducted by scholars at Cambridge University. It said 90% of India's total area now lies in extreme heat danger zones. El Nino is expected to hit India around July-August. The biggest fear is that it will affect rainfall, make it terribly erratic. While India's weather trackers are divided on how serious the impact will be, the mood fears are real. You see, 60% of droughts in India in the last 130 years have coincided with an El Nino event. Well, not all El Nino events cause droughts, but here's what else it can do. Spoil crops and lead to higher food prices at a time when India has just begun to control inflation and rural demand is still weak. It can have company stocks tumbling. And of course, it can lead to a massive outbreak of infectious diseases. The effects of El Nino can be varied as they can be severe. So how much should you and I worry about this little boy that rises every few years from the depths of the Pacific to create havoc in the world? Will this enfant terrible burn a hole in our pockets? Will it be so serious as to disrupt the stock markets like it does the weather? And when we look at the larger picture, as these climate occurrences and weather shocks become more and more frequent, what should we do to become climate-proof? All this and much more in today's episode. It's Tuesday, the 25th of April. I'm Anirban Chaudhary, and this is your favorite audio deep dive, The Morning Brief.
Long, long ago in the 1600s, a group of Peruvian fishermen suddenly observed that the sea waters were turning too warm for fish to come onto their nets. This strange thing happened in late December, and so they named it El Nino de Navidad, or the newborn Christ. Navidad in Spanish is Christmas Eve. Now, I find it quite amazing that these really complex and often menacing things are given such innocuous names. Remember Little Boy and Fat Man? I was also quite surprised to find a really catchy French song called El Nino. The words basically go, the rain does not fall, there is no water, the snow is melting, let's stop debates as it's getting really hot in here. And then there's a bunch of kids going, The video has all kinds of climate change imagery like melting snow and torrential rains and I find this really nice in the way that it adds to our awareness about these things. Which is also what this podcast is trying to do. So why and how does El Nino happen? Well, in normal conditions, trade winds push the warm surface of the ocean from South America towards Asia. Then, cold water rises from the depths of the sea to replace the warm water that has been pushed forward. This is called upwelling. Now, every now and then, those trade winds become weak. As a result, warm water that was piled up towards Asia begins to move back, or towards where it came from. Cold water cannot come up to the surface, ocean temperature rises. That is El Nino. El Nino and La Nina, meaning the girl, are opposite phases of something called the El Nino Ocean Oscillation. La Nina is when the opposite happens. Trade winds blow too fast and a lot of cold water comes up to the surface, leading to an unnatural cooling of the oceans. The period between La Nina and El Nino is called the neutral period. With global warming and changes in the climate, that period is now getting shorter. Like India is just out of the La Nina phase and already gearing up for El Nino. This hasn't happened so fast ever before. So to understand how El Nino has evolved over the years, I spoke to Dr. Kim Cobb, an American climate scientist who spent years literally hunting for El Nino events and their impact. One of her very interesting studies is the link between El Nino and growing levels of industrialization. Remember, there have been 30 occurrences of El Nino since 1900, and six of them, or a fifth, have been recorded after 2000. Definitely, there is some emerging evidence from work like my own that peer back into the frequency and severity of El Nino events for the long, long, many centuries prior to the Industrial Revolution and compare the pattern of those pre-industrial events to those that have occurred over recent decades. We see that, in fact, there has been a statistically significant increase in the strength of events over the last 50 years compared to this very long pre-industrial baseline. And so uh, my work is not the only work to point in that direction. There is a growing pile of evidence that points to a potential role for greenhouse gases in amplifying this natural climate cycle on our planet with the evidence that they may be increasing in amplitude, all the more reason to consider how we are designing our response, emergency planning and response strategies, but also longer term considerations about our infrastructure 
how we can build them to be resilient to an environment where we know that climate and weather extremes are getting worse, potentially including El Nino Southern oscillations getting stronger. Okay, understood. So Dr. Cobb, is there any reason to believe that the upcoming El Nino event is going to be a really strong one? Well, I think it's too early to say, and El Nino is very much tied like a clock to the seasonal cycles every year. And so this is the first glimpse that we are getting right now of the coming months of El Nino activity, but it's very early to see if it's going to be a weak event or a moderate event or potentially even a strong event. And so we'll be getting much more information over the next few months that will improve those forecasts considerably. So the 2015-2016 event was by some measures the largest ever recorded. And so mm-hmm. I think it's probably would be unusual to have an event that would beat that out uh, so soon, but it's certainly possible. To understand the impact of El Nino a little more, especially the economic impact globally, I spoke to Kamyar Mohaddis, an Associate Professor of Economics and Policy Fellow at King's College, Cambridge. Now, Kamyar was in Rome when we spoke and our conversation was deferred almost seven times before we finally managed to talk. Reason? A surprisingly large amount of rainfall in the city and a long power outage. Remember, Italy almost faced a drought two months back. Climate change. I definitely blame weather shocks. These huge amounts of rain that fell in within 12 hours. I think that really shows when people talk about climate change, the issue is not confined to hot and dry places. It's just everywhere in the world, right? This is not what you know would have happened a few decades ago. And mm-hmm. definitely, which knocked out the power, which basically led to us not be able to connect. So yes, I do blame weather shocks and climate change for that. <laughs> <laughs> Kamiya recently co-wrote a really interesting article on El Nino's heterogeneous economic impact across the world. How it's bad for some countries, but actually good for others. I asked him to explain. Let me give you an example from some of the Asia-Pacific region first and move to North America and explain why we should observe a heterogeneous effect. But, you know, we know that El Nino causes really hot and dry summers in at least Southeast Australia. And that has a knock-on effect on two things. One, economic activity in Australia, but also global prices of commodities. So in this case, it would increase both the frequency and severity of bushfires. That would reduce wheat exports. That would drive up the global prices of wheat. If you think about Indonesia, it's an interesting example because, again, the impacts on Indonesia is pretty large. Uh, impacting commodities such as coffee, cocoa, palm oil, and many other commodities. But also what's interesting in Indonesia, I don't know if you know, but it's the world's largest nickel exporter. And what happens mm-hmm. is a lot of the mining equipment in Indonesia is reliant on hydropower. So with less rain and low river currents, the less nickel they can produce and the less nickel they produce, obviously prices of nickel goes up, but also we can't reinforce this uh, as much steel with, uh, with nickel. So it impacts the ec- economic activity, not just in, obviously in Indonesia, but also has big spillover effects to, to other countries in terms of uh, through the commodity channels, so higher prices for commodities. Kamiya, speaking of diverse impacts, you say in your paper that El Nino is actually good for the U.S. How? The U.S. 
is very, very unique. The impacts of an El Nino in the U.S. is very, very different depending on which part of the country you are. So in El Nino year, we have wetter weather in California, and we've had droughts in California for more than a decade now. It brings warmer winters to the Northeast, more rainfall in the South, less tornadic activity in the Midwest, and the number of hurricanes are reduced on the East Coast. All of mm-hmm. these things basically brings more stability to the U.S. economy in terms of an impact on commodities, farming, mining, oil sector, etc., and therefore basically boosts economic activity. So if you look on sort of average, what we are, what our study shows is that the U.S. economy benefits in the El Nino year by about 0.2 percentage points. So our estimates is 0.2 percentage points. It's not very far away from what has actually been reported in terms of the net benefits. Okay. And what about India? For India, we know that not always, but in many cases, El Nino actually coincides with a a weak monsoon, severely rising temperatures. And that clearly has an impact on India's agricultural sector. And that Mm -hmm. has a knock-on effect on obviously one thing that we talk a lot about today, which is inflation and food inflation. This is clearly shown by our econometric work on analysis, which shows that India's GDP growth is actually hit in an El Nino year. And our estimates would show something like 0.2%. Now, that is obviously on aggregate and is fairly large. And it would be larger, I would say, for people who are on the uh, sort of on lower incomes uh, as opposed to ones that are on the higher incomes already. Okay, now let's get a little deeper into the India impact. Interestingly, and um, this is a scary bit, As far as ocean warming goes, India and its neighboring countries are in a more vulnerable spot than their global peers. Why? Because the Indian Ocean, which touches us at the highest number of points, is heating up faster than other large water bodies. Here's Saranj Bajpai, an associate director at non-profit think tank World Resources Institute. The sea surface temperature of the tropical Indian Ocean has risen by close to 1 degree Celsius during the last 50, 60 years from 1951 to 2015, which is higher than the global average sea surface temperature warming. As we understand that Indian monsoons are dependent on the land temperature or the air temperature over the Indian subcontinent and its interaction with the temperatures of the Indian Ocean. And this, we are talking about the Indian Ocean warming at a faster rate. So it will definitely be having a a lot of impacts on the way monsoons and the precipitation falls over the Indian subcontinent. So El Nino needs to be seen in the context of climate change, which has far deeper and longer consequences. So how does climate change affect rainfall? When we talk of rainfall, the entire country as a whole is likely to see an increase in rainfall. But when we look at the distribution, it is likely to be highly uneven. The maximum increase in rainfall is expected in the northwestern India. The states like Rajasthan, Gujarat, Punjab. If we look at some of the northeastern states like Arunachal Pradesh and Sikkim, So these are the states where the precipitation or the rainfall is likely to decrease. Hold on, hold on. Saranj just started his answer by saying India will get higher rainfall. So what are we worried about then? The duration of the rainfall season will decrease. That means there will be more extreme precipitation events. 
in a very short duration of time you are receiving a rainfall uh, which is the season's rainfall you are receiving in a couple of days time and it seriously puts a great pressure on the infrastructure on the service delivery systems the storm water drainage you know the carrying capacity gets breached and then we see urban flooding and water stagnation this creates a huge pressure on the health infrastructure vector borne diseases and widespread you know epidemics etc historically weather changes due to strong el nino events have led to the outbreak of infectious diseases cholera zika hanta fever and chikungunya there are some other strange and deadly effects according to william pan a professor for global environmental health at duke university north carolina El Nino influences human exposure to mercury levels. Mercury gets released into the atmosphere and eventually deposits back onto land or in water. And well that is really harmful. And of course, before all that, short spurts of really heavy rainfall are a curse for crops, no? They are, they are. So uh, ideally for all the agriculture ecosystem, the monsoon needs to be spread out. ideally it is a four month duration season which we have studied but now because the duration of the season is reducing and as i said the entire rainfall is you know uh, restricted to just a few days so the irrigation which the crops require that gets compromised then farmers need to depend either on groundwater or surface water irrigation sources and if that is not available then it leads to crop losses and then mm-hmm. farm distress and all those you know associated impacts and what are those associated impacts on a short term basis if your agriculture income falls because as a result of erratic rainfall earning powers the purchasing power of farmers begins to come down so that that's the first impact that that happens that's shogato bhattacharya vice president and chief economist at axis bank and rural fmcg sales as we have seen in the course of the pandemic and then the after effects of the pandemic that rural sales not just fmcg but consumer durables tractors two wheelers etc uh, that had right. become impacted right right in fact remember fmcg companies have been grappling with lower demand in rural india and brokerage firm nuvama had warned in february that el nino in india will make that situation worse and then there are tertiary effects because if immediate consumption there is uncertainty about demand about consumption prices etc the private sector will be more reluctant for a long term capex plan so investment indirectly becomes affected if and if there is increased uncertainty uh, regarding the short term consumption trends and what about long term impact if this becomes a sustained phenomenon that's the one that is the most what is some because in case there is a shortage of demand particularly it's not just the el nino as you said as a phenomenon this year with with high temperatures this is in an environment where the entire global economy is slowing so our export potential is also is likely to be lower this year so the overall set of consumption starting from the agriculture sector then into the, the staples consumption etc then the long term with purchasing power consumer durables and that in turn leads to private sector i mean the profit margins etc begin to suffer in the private sector and that leads to a slowdown in capex investment etc so obviously all this would impact specific companies and their financial performance too and so it would impact their stock and well 
your investment. Here's Pankaj Pandey, Head of Research at ICICI Securities. So we had two instances of El Nino year, which is in 2009 and 2015. And whenever that happens, it does have impact on number of sectors. Uh, we have seen tractor sales getting impacted, FMCG sector, consumer durables, or the small appliances segment. Then the agrochemical uh, sector also gets impacted. So tractors, historically, we have seen that when, uh, in 2015, when the rainfall was deficient, the sales got impacted in the year after 2016. Similarly, for FMCG companies, one-third of their top line is driven from rural India. And for companies specific to, say, Dabur, 50% of their top line is coming from rural India. For a company like HUL, about 40% of their top line comes from rural India. So these companies do get impacted. So generally what happens is that uh, typically the normal growth trajectory or volume growth trajectory for these companies is high single digits. Whenever we see deficiency in rainfall, the volume growth tapers down to low single digits. So that is the kind of impact. Then I think on the consumer durable as a segment also, what we see is that whenever you typically, when you look at say AC or uh, refrigerator as a product, their normal growth trajectory is 13, 14 odd percent. Here too, there are beneficiaries like this segment. Now, sugar typically is produced in three states, which is uh, Uttar Pradesh, uh, Karnataka and Maharashtra. And whenever uh, there has been a rain deficiency, we have seen sugar prices inching up uh, by two to three rupees, uh, in fact, even more. And our sense is that if, if there is a rain deficiency, then uh, the players, uh, especially from Karnataka and Maharashtra, would get impacted. Whereas, relatively, it is beneficial for UP-based sugar millers, largely because there the water table is good, so production does not get impacted so much with the deficiency in rainfall. So companies like Dhampur Sugar or Dalmia Bharat Sugar uh, stand to sort of benefit from that perspective, besides the number of other names. But Pankaj is optimistic. He does not think that there will be a very severe El Nino impact on the markets. And several market trackers share his optimism. In a recent report, Antique Security said that the risk of deficient rain due to El Nino may be, quote-unquote, misplaced, as other conditions influencing monsoon remain favourable. They said that their target for the Nifty for this financial year remains unchanged. But El Nino is a problem. So how does one tackle this problem? Dr. Cobb says that at this point and for this year, the government needs to wait and watch. I do know, of course, that the India uh, economy and well-being of uh, communities there is tied to El Nino. And El Nino, of course, on average, bringing uh, drought conditions across the India subcontinent. I'm sure that the government is looking very carefully at this and trying to understand what it means for water resources, what it means for a potential planting of crops and the phasing of that. But it's important to note that El Nino impacts on India are highly variable. And some years, some El Nino events bring very strong signals of drought and some events bring much weaker signals of drought, if any. And so for a region like India, it's best to prepare if you are very sensitive, but it's also a bit difficult to prepare because, again, it's so early and the impacts are a bit unknown. So you certainly want to be, wouldn't want to be making any costly investments right now for a condition six months from now, which are still quite uncertain. But then with heat waves regularly hitting Indian cities and El Nino becoming more frequent, India needs long-term measures. 
from new ways of water conservation to new methods of farming to even new crops. Here's Shogato again. There is no doubt that India is already a very water-constrained economy. So water management, uh, when we have rains to ensure that the rains don't drain off into the sea, there are catchment areas, reviving urban and rural water bodies. We used to have a very well-developed water system in the medieval period, I mean, all the, the baulis, etc. So those need to be revived, and particularly in the farm, farm ponds, etc. Uh, the groundwater needs to be recharged. That's very, very important. So if there are excess rains, etc., we need to have systems by which the groundwater levels do not deplete. And as you know, in many states, many regions, urban areas, rural areas, groundwater levels have come down very severely. So that, that's So water management is definitely number one. Number two is the planting pattern seed designs. This is very, very important from agricultural universities, even the big agricultural corporates need to put in a significant amount of R&D into, into seed research, crop research, variety seed varieties, which are more resistant to droughts, uh, which are more water resistant, etc. Millets is a perfect example. So rather than water guzzling crops like rice, like sugarcane, etc., the current government's focus on millets is a very timely intervention. Millets are a drought-resistant crop, very robust, and, and so on, very nutritious. So these seeds need to be developed. With the remote sensing of, by satellites, more dissemination of what times farmers should plant their seeds to make them more resistant to a future level of water scarcity, etc. So these are basic steps that need to be done. These steps need to come from the fiscal side, he says. It is the fiscal side, the government, which probably has and should have the main responsibility of looking at plugging some of the problems that might emerge in the agricultural sector. That's one. So fiscal interventions, uh, interest rate waivers, etc. The much more important part as a mixture of the government and the private sector is insurance, which is something that is going ahead in India, but has still not gathered the kind of momentum that we would have liked to see. A weather insurance system, a crop insurance system, that's the need of the day. And if poor farmers can't afford to pay the premiums for insuring against weather fluctuations or other crops, it is the government that needs to step in with these subsidies. And insurance is the key, as I mentioned earlier, uh, to smoothening up with the fluctuations and volatility that is weather induced in the system. But the centre alone can't fix it. The centre can make policies and set targets. But the action part lies at the subnational level, the states, the cities, the gram panchayats or the rural India. And there are a lot of examples from across the country. Uh, one example where we can see a very good governance structure and implementation is Bihar. As we know, Bihar uh, has a very low green cover. They are trying to be trees outside forest cover. Similarly, for water, they are aiming to you know provide 100% pipe water supply for irrigation purposes. As we understand that the entire northern part of Bihar is flood prone and remains submerged for almost six to eight months of the year, while the southern part of Bihar is drought prone. So there is a very nice physical infrastructure system called Ahar and Pines, which are surface canals which divert the excess water from the flooded areas to the drought-prone areas. Not just states, but individual cities are in on it too. For example, Indore is rejuvenating massive wells and step wells to store more water. A few villages are taking initiatives as well. 
So there is a Gram Panchayat in Kerala, Minangadi. They have done a baseline assessment of what are the emission sources within the Gram Panchayat. Now in Kerala, the Gram Panchayats are big. So they first assessed what are the sources of greenhouse gas emissions. And then they deployed massive rooftop solar through government support as well as through community support. They have established a tree banking system wherein people are motivated to plant trees and then they get 50 rupees per tree. And then they also can uh, show this to a bank to get a loan at a subsidized interest rate. And because of these efforts, they are moving towards carbon neutrality. In fact, they have recently received an award from Honorable President, another Gram Panchayat, Patola, uh, Patoda in Maharashtra. So they have set up uh, electric vehicle charging station within the Gram Panchayat uh, for promoting people to switch over to electric two-wheelers, uh, you know. And the three-wheelers uh, for solid waste and uh, management within the Gram Panchayat are electric. So a lot of efforts are going on. We uh, are able to you know, see and we are shown what examples come up from the states or cities or from the national level. But a lot of action is happening in rural India also. And that is being acknowledged and recognized now. El Nino is a super complex transaction between the ocean and the atmosphere. While it's established that it is making the world warmer, it's very difficult to track the changing patterns of El Nino or ENSO itself and how it will be influenced by climate change. This is how meteorologist Tom DeLiberto described it in a blog post a few years ago. He said to think of ENSO as the light in a room controlled by hundreds of dimmer switches. Climate change is like a bratty kid who goes into the room and fiddles with each switch, turning some up and others down. Whether the end result is a brighter room, which is stronger or more frequent ENSO, or a darker room, weaker or less frequent ENSO, is hard to predict. But obviously, there is no other way to understand El Nino than in the context of the larger scenario of global warming. And both are part of a vicious cycle. El Nino occurrences make the world a warmer place, which leads to more frequent occurrences of El Nino. So while climate scientists across the world rack their brains on the best ways to model this phenomenon, try to guess the new mischief this boy of the Pacific may be up to, countries are trying to resist its shocks. But here's the thing, India isn't close to being shock resistant or shall we say climate proof yet, far from it. We are thinking of new crops, farm tech and water conservation methods, but are still at the ideation stage on larger, more ingenious concepts. For example, people in a Kerala fishing hamlet called Chellanam, which was ravaged by Cyclone Tauktai, are now planning to erect seawalls. Great, but examples like this are very few and they are isolated. Saranj told me that the age-old problems of interdepartmental squabbles in state governments delay and often kill many plans towards climate adaptability. All of that needs to change. And since all this ultimately starts from and leads to our planet, our own increased awareness is key. And if this episode has made you understand El Nino a little more and made you realize why you should worry about it, well, that is a good first step now, isn't it? You've been listening to The Morning Brief. This episode was produced by Sumit Pandey and sound designed by Indranil Bhattacharjee. Big thanks to fellow TMB host Kalpana Pathak and several scientists and professors who were my brain trust for this episode. 
The Morning Brief team also includes executive producers Arjit Barman, Anupriya Nair, and myself, Anirban Chaudhary, hosts, producers, and sound designers. Together, we bring you compelling stories and deep dives every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. You can listen to us on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or whichever listening platform you prefer. Do like, share, and subscribe. Keep listening. Have a good week ahead. All clips used in this episode belong to their respective owners. Credits are mentioned in the description.